Derek Olson here to reconstruct the prehistoric past with you. In this episode, I feature an interview I recently did on the Let's Be Friends podcast, where I talk about evidence for lost ancient technology in Egypt and the enigmas concerning the Great Pyramid of Giza and many other ancient Egyptian sites. I think you're going to enjoy this episode and let's get right to the interview right now. Derek is a researcher, explorer, and founder of Megalithic Marvels, a video, podcast, and blogging platform dedicated to reconstructing the prehistoric past and investigating ancient mysteries centered around lost technologies, megalithic architecture, and ancient engineers who built them. Derek also enjoys hosting Megalithic Marvels tours to ancient sites around the world with fellow truth seekers and ancient history bluffs. Buffs. (laughs) His next tour is the Adventure of a Lifetime, a 12-day expedition to see and touch the world's greatest superstructures in the 2023 Megalithic Marvels Egypt Tour. And as Derek puts it, the mainstream history has taught us to believe ancient times equal primitive times. The further you look back, the more archaic the ancients were, the dumber we were. One trip to Egypt will unequivocally prove that that's not the case. It's the opposite. But the further we look back, the more advanced the ancients were, that they had technology to build stuff that we cannot replicate today with our greatest technology. Welcome, Derek. Hey, Kara. Thanks so much for having me. Man, I should have shortened that bio for you. That was quite a mouthful, <laughs> but uh, thanks for the introduction. I chose to say it all because I wanted to. Yeah, that's awesome. Your, your tour that you're putting together to Egypt in 2023 sounds absolutely amazing. Like you're going to be going like on a boat down the Nile. People are taking camel rides next to the pyramids. You get to do a special two hour pyramid inside the great pyramid of Giza. Yeah. Like that's so cool. Oh man. Yeah. We had the time of our lives this last February on our first annual trip. And it's like a megalithic buffet. I mean, seeing all these sites, learning about the hidden history of Egypt, it was incredible. And yeah, to anybody that might be interested, you can go to uh, our website there, megalithicmarvels.com forward slash tours, got all, get all the info. And we're going of May, May, 2023. So it's coming up. That's awesome. I may just be on that tour. I, I, I If I can make it happen, I want to be there because <laughs> I have always been so fascinated with Egypt and the pyramids and so many questions about them. And like, I don't, everybody's just so drawn to Egypt. There's something, there's something there. There's something that uh, hidden within those giant structures. And I feel like you've really come to the bottom of a lot of that, haven't you? You know, I, I, I'm trying. I don't, <laughs> I'll say right up at the start here, I don't have all the answers, but I'm learning from a lot of great minds uh, and then doing my own research. And I went to Egypt years ago and didn't know anything I know now. So when I went this last February, it was just incredible because, as I say, mainstream history teaches us to believe that uh, ancient times really equal primitive times. And basically, Egyptologists, which uh, that means the study of the pharaonic Egypt age and the pharaonic dynasties, they uh, emerged in Egypt around 3000 BC. So Egypt Egyptology tells us that those guys, the dynastic Egyptians of 3000 BC, you know, basically created the pyramids as tombs. Uh, but unlike the confirmed Egyptian tombs in the Valley of the Kings, no hieroglyphs, no um, mummies, no Egyptian artwork depictions have been found on the bare megalithic walls inside these great pyramids. And when I was there, uh it was literally mind blowing because as you're walking through, or I should say crawling through really <laughs> the great pyramid, you, you realize really quick how this thing is not even functional really for humans of our size to be walking through. They've put, you know, modern day staircases and railings made of wood on top of the granite so that you can grab on and pull yourself up. Some of these are 300 foot descending passageways. Um, So if I can barely climb up those with a small backpack on today, how in the world did the dynastic Egyptians uh, of 3000 BC do it without stairs, without railings, while holding massive, you know, statues in a funeral procession, they would have slid right down that stuff. So that's the kind of, um, 
I guess, things that jump out to you when you get to Egypt and you're actually have an open mind to think about some of this stuff and weigh some of the evidence? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, I mean, you know, I just, I had a big awakening in 2020 really started realizing, oh, what I was taught in school was just the story of the victors. It was uh, the agendas and the indoctrination that was kind of pushed on us. And then of course I had to take my new eyes and look at everything. And it was when I was um, interviewing Nate from Blurry Creatures, we were talking about the pyramids and he was like, I was like, man, how did they build the, the Egyptians even build those? He's like, do you really think that the Egyptians built those? And I was like, oh my gosh. He's like, I think they were inherited technology. And I was like, oh my gosh, like it just blew my mind. You know, like they give us this one story. This is the, that they, that these, of course they want us to think these Kings and these big emperors and stuff were like, I'm going to have this giant tomb that I'm going to have people build for all this time for my burial and just me, me, me. And then you think about it and you're like, wait, maybe these tombs really weren't the burial grounds for these Kings and the Egyptians didn't build them. These like slaves with the, I don't even know how they would have carried those blocks, you know, like, like I, I can barely carry my cat you know, to take around the house, to carry these big blocks, but you just start looking at it. And it's like the stones don't add up to a, like the way that they, they made us think that the, you know, the Egyptians were used and what they were used for and how they were built and who built them. Yeah. There's so much research that's gone into this. I mean, the great pyramid of Egypt uh, stands approximately 500 feet tall and it's made up of like 2.5 million multi-ton blocks. Okay. 2.5 million multi-ton blocks. Again, mainstream Egyptology basically tells us it was constructed by this huge workforce of, of primitive people cutting, shaping, moving, setting into place these massive multi-ton blocks, basically using sleds and ramps, right? And basically then Egyptology tells us that this all happened uh, around the fourth dynasty by the Egyptian pharaoh Khufu. And so they say that over a 10 to 20 year period, this is that's how long it took them to build the Great Pyramid, 10 to 20 years, around yeah, 2500 right. BC. <laughs> how many million blocks? Come yeah, 2.5. <laughs> and so I can't you count do, that long, not much in that amount right? of time. <laughs> yeah, you do the math and there's estimates that if that's true, each one of the huge stones would have to be quarried, shaped, moved and set into place every two minutes for it to be done, you know, in that 10 to 20 year period. Um, Graham Hancock, uh, one of the great researchers of our day, has so many great things to say about the Great Pyramid. And he talks about how you can calculate from its mass, it weighs approximately 6 million tons, and its footprint is 13 acres. So it's more than like 750 feet long in each side. Again, almost 500 feet tall. More than 2.5 million blocks made in its construction. But the cool, the craziest thing is it's not just big, it's like precise. It's locked into the cardinal dimensions of the planet. And it's literally targeted on true north within 360ths of a degree. So these were master masons who built this thing. Yeah. Wow. It's it's mind-blowing when you think about the preciseness and the details of the pyramids and how it's put together. And I've even seen that all the pyramids are set up with the Orion lines, right? The, the like in, in accordance to the belt of Orion, you know, the constellation and it makes you, yep. and I start, when I learned that and even in Washington, DC, things are set up to the Orion lines, like all, tons of like places around the world are set up to the Orion lines. And, and I, you know, that the, that the fallen ones, you know, came down here a long time ago, the, the fallen angels that were cast out of heaven and they, um, I think that they brought a lot of technologies down here. And I think that a lot of these structures are built in accordance to the stars, the lines of the stars, so that when they line up, there's some kind of maybe portals that are opened. Um, I think you're right on with a lot of that. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was actually just, um, you know, reading through the book of Enoch, which uh, if listeners don't know, you know, what Genesis 6 mentions briefly, the book of Enoch <laughs> kind of breaks down in detail. Mm-hmm. And I think it's here in chapter six, it talks about, you know, the 200 watchers that came down uh, on Mount Hermon there in uh, Israel. They taught and us astrology. Yep. And cutting of roots. The constellations, the knowledge of the clouds and the signs of the earth, signs of the sun, 
in the course of the moon. So definitely yeah, that lends to all the astronomical alignments that you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating. Like I've, I definitely know a little bit about Book of Enoch um, one, and I've talked about it on here. And I talked with my friend Jenny Meyer about that and the, just the Nephilim and the Genesis six conspiracy. And it's fascinating when you think about what these fallen angels, these fallen ones brought here, because there's so much where we're like, well, how did this come? Like, I, I, you know, I, I was on this big journey of doing psychedelics for decades and, you know, ayahuasca and mushrooms, all these things. I'd be like, how did that first person figure out the blend for ayahuasca and psychedelics? <laughs> and then also I was like, oh my gosh, the fallen angels taught us this. And this is magic, Kara, and you shouldn't do this. And I've had to like swing around on all of that. And it's been a big part of, you know, my awakening that I've been going through. I've, I'm recently a born again Christian. Um, so I think very differently about all the stuff that I did throughout my life. But once I realized that the fallen angels are the ones that brought that that to us, that started, I was like, okay, that's how nobody just randomly kept trying mushrooms and then, oh, they died because that was a poisonous one. Someone else tries one. And then you look at the pyramids and the way they were built. And it's like, oh, this information may have come. I mean, where do you think that the information for building these who from the fallen ones or how do you think they were actually built? Wow. You're going, we're going right in. Aren't I know. We? I know. I just, I know. I realized I just did that. I just, just guess like a big dive. Woo, a dive in. <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, oh man. I mean, there's, we could talk about this for endless hours, right? I mean, sounds like being that you're coming from a biblical worldview and, and so do I, I guess let's kind of start there. Uh, I've, I've been doing a little deep dive into this recently on how were these built? And here's some kind of bullet nugget notes I've put down. Um, so we know like in the Bible, John 1, 1, I believe it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's obviously, you know, talking about Genesis 1, right? God spoke and created everything with a word, with um, resonance. Uh, then I think of Joshua chapter 6, right, where God's telling Joshua to have Israel walk around basically the biggest megalithic walls of their time at Jericho. Uh, which were supposed to be impenetrable. And they, I think God said, walk around it once a day. And then God says on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with priests blowing trumpets. And then when you hear them sound the long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a shout. And so basically Israel pulled off the impossible, basically in a nutshell by using a sound wave, Right. Yeah, um, I'm following you. I'm following you. I like this. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, you like this? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, I like where you're going. Uh -huh. <laughs> the first Hebrew word of the um, the Hebrew alphabet, it's a left. And it's, it's basically like this out breath. It's like a left. It's a sound. And it's supposed to be, it's like the expression of a divine source, which then manifests in the material world. So we kind of see these bits and pieces. If you study kind of the the life and work of Tesla, Nikola mm -hmm. Tesla, he basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, you have to think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. We know he was tapping into that. Yep. And then um, part of my notes here, I like to look at extra biblical sources because I believe, man, if they back up what the Bible is saying, then this is getting even better. Mm -hmm. And so there's a historian named uh Flavius Josephus, he was a first century Romano-Jewish scholar. Uh, he kind of recorded the Jewish history with an emphasis on that first Jewish-Roman war. Anyway, he wrote a lot of books. His, his most famous one is called The Antiquities of the Jews. Anyway, this guy actually mentions the Nephilim or the giants a lot in his works. Again, this is extra biblical. He was a secular historian. But one of his famous quotes about giants is this in the antiquities of the Jews. He says, quote, there were till then left the race of giants who had bodies so large and countenances so entirely different from other men. And they were surprising to the sight and terrible to the hearing. That's the key word. The bones of these men are still shown to this very day, unlike to any credible relations of other men, end quote. So in Josephus's day, around 100 AD, he's saying these giant bones were still on display in the, in the public museums. Okay. But he mentions the sound. And I think he's hinting at um, 
that these ancient demigod hybrid rulers, um, they can tap into a resonance and frequencies that we can't understand today. And I think they were using that to go back to your original question to, to build a lot of these megalithic structures we see around the world. And then you add to that a lot of these megaliths are on magnetic ley lines that have a, a vibrational quality to them. And inside, again, the pyramids and a lot of these megalithic structures in Egypt and Peru, you, you can sense, uh, literally hear these magnetic anomalies as you tap on stuff. It's pure granite, which should you know sound like this, but in certain places, it's like tin. Um, in, in Peru, it was mind-blowing years ago when I was there. There was basically this megalithic structure at Ojante Tambu, this uh, big site near Machu Picchu. And it was almost like a megalithic waterworks. It, and basically the, the water runoff from the mountain, all the rainfall was running down this mountain. And the Inca later had somehow retrofitted this for the water to flow into this megalithic thing and over this like fountain almost crazy part is if you would swipe your finger on the lip of that megalithic block where the water was coming through this thing it would shut off wow and then if you swiped it again the water would flow so (laughs) how in the world did that just happen like that doesn't make any sense again it was tapping into magnetic energies and and i believe uh Ley lines. So to answer your question, I think it has a lot to do with resonance, acoustic resonance, frequencies. And then um, have you ever heard of Coral Castle? No. So this is kind of a modern day um, nugget that lends to what I'm saying. So um, Coral Castle is in, I think, Coral Gables, Miami, Florida area. And there was a guy named Edward Leedskillinen who lived back like early 1900s, I think. This guy wasn't even five foot tall. Um, somehow he was able to harvest, cut, and hoist over 1,000 tons without any equipment. And he would do it at night so no one could see him. And the, the neighbors you know, who were asked later, they would say that they could hear him whistling at night while he built Whoa! <laughs> yeah, you you can look this place up. These are massive coral megalithic looking blocks that again multi ton. And this guy, um, there's some old photos you can see of a contraption he had. It was like a tripod, but it had a magnetic box on top and this bang- magnet on the bottom. And uh, when when he was asked, you know, how in the world did you do this without giant machines and giant earth movers? He basically said he discovered how the pyramids were built and uh, he tapped into it. And um, it was most likely using sound or electromagnetic energy to basically lift a heavy stone as if it was light as a feather. I have goosebumps. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. Wow. Uh, That is just amazing. Um, You think about that and sound and frequency is very profound. There is, I mean, especially when you think of, I had always been like before I, started reading the Bible. Cause I just started reading the Bible, um, December, 2022. I was a denier. If you don't know this about me. I was a denier of Jesus. I was a denier of the Bible. It's horrible. I fell hook, line and sinker to the new world order agenda without even realizing it. But once I started, I'd, I'd always said, even on this podcast, before I um, started reading the Bible, I'd be like, how was the first baby born? I was like, how did the first baby raise itself? Like, I would just keep saying how guys I'd ask every guest that question. And then when I finally read the Bible, <laughs> Genesis, I realized, oh, there was not a first baby. There was Adam and God breathed life into his nostrils. And like you said, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. And that just tells you like how profound, if that's how God started this world was through his word and through the breath, that shows there's an immense power behind that. And then when you talk about the ley lines and the resonance and just like sonic frequency, you think of Tesla and then this guy in Coral Gables, Florida, and the work he did, um, it just starts making sense. And I think of like, you know, um, the, the, the UFO aircrafts that they say that they're hovering or they're doing, that would probably be the same kind of frequencies. And then 
I think back to, you know, I base a lot of my thinking on life from these experiences I had on psychedelics. And I would, I don't, I was doing awful things, trying to connect with other beings and all this horrible stuff that I've had to repent for fully. But it was always a frequency that would connect me with them. Every time I would ask them, how am I connecting with you? Frequency. It's always a frequency. So there is something so profound behind sound and frequency and the connection and the power within that to create and things. I mean, God's the only creator, but you know, to create, move things here. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And there's one of the key uh, phrases that I use when talking about um, ancient Egypt is repurposing. And this is where it can get really confusing. Um, in a nutshell, Basically, you've got this um, pre-dynastic megalithic civilization who I believe created the pyramids uh, and these obelisks and these megalithic temples that a lot of people don't know exist that are in Egypt. They're completely different than the pyramids, but they're made with the same megalithic architecture. We can talk more about that in a bit. So you have these that are, I would say, at least 12,000 years old. And we can get into dating and all that if you want later. Um, but then you did have the dynastic Egyptians, and I don't want to, I don't want to minimize them. They were amazing. Uh, they were an amazing culture. The dynastic Egyptians of, of around 3000 BC, and their art and their culture uh, was incredible. And but I, and I believe they still had some faint knowledge of this golden prehistoric age that they were tapping into. But what they did when they came along is. They saw the pyramids. They saw these megalithic marvels, as I say, and they repurposed them, right? They uh, did bury some of their pharaohs in these pyramids. Um, and as Muhammad Ibrahim, I'll probably reference him a lot. He's uh, an Egyptologist, but I think the only Egyptologist on earth who, who says that an actual megalithic civilization made pyramids he's also our tour guide so that's what i love about our oh, tours cool. is it's all about looking for the evidence of lost ancient tech in this this earlier civilization so he talks about how um the um pyramids collected cosmic waves and so these dynastic egyptians of 3000 bc came along and repurposed them and these kings like king tut and khufu they understood this pyramid was like a generator of holistic energy among many other functions. And therefore they wanted to be buried inside this pyramid because they totally believed in the afterlife mm -hmm. and they wanted to receive the energy of the pyramid. And they, they literally thought they were going to cross through portals and it was like a ticket to the <laughs> afterlife to explore other dimensions. And that's why, in Egypt, at all these megalithic sites, you see the dynastics came along and kind of tagged them with their hieroglyphs mm -hmm. and repurposed them uh, because they were the greatest structures they'd ever seen. Like a rebranding uh, with the hieroglyphs. <laughs> exactly. In one site, when I was there in February, that blew my mind. This totally came out of left field. It was kind of, uh, I mean, there's so many incredible sites to see in Egypt. There's one in Luxor called the Ramazeum. And you don't hear a whole lot about this site, but this to me was one of the most shocking discoveries of my whole tour. So the site's called the Ramazeum because it's the memorial temple for Pharaoh Ramses II. He was of the 19th dynasty. He's one of these, um, these pharaonic guys. He ruled uh, about 1300 BC. And they, they've dedicated this whole site to him called the Ramazeum because his, the name Ramses was seen in a hieroglyph on the site and you walk around the site. And I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's 90% dynastic Egyptian. You see these giant sandstone pillars, but they're all made in sections. You see hieroglyphs, but they're all kind of crude compared to what I'm going to tell you about. You see these uh, Ramsey statues that are like 10 feet tall, but they're made in sections, meaning they didn't have the ability to make it in one piece. And they're all made out of sandstone. Well, you then you walk around the corner of all this. And what do you see? You see the ruins of a 1,000 ton 
statue made from one solid piece of granite. Wow. 1,000 tons. And all that's left is the kind of the neck, the torso, and the waist. So if it was complete, it would weigh at least 2,000 tons. You get up close to this. Now, it's been severely damaged, but you can see this thing was precision carved. It features muscle tone. Wow. It's got these 3D embedded symbols in its shoulders that look like they were made with lasers. And it's got these symbols at the base of it as well. And I've got pictures on our Instagram account that you could see uh, if you search around to, to see this stuff. All that to say, it's mind-blowing. How do you have this stuff that's all sandstone, which is a softer material, made in sections and crude hieroglyphs, but in the harder material, much harder. Uh, sandstone is like a two on the most scale of hardness from one to 10, one is softest. And granite, rose granite's like an eight or nine. So in the rose granite, you've got almost laser-like deep symbols. The point is this, the dynastic Egyptians only had uh, copper and iron tools, according to the archeological record which are about a two and three on the most scale hardness. No, maybe it's a three or four point is uh -huh. it's a way softer material of yeah. tool. Yeah. Softer can't cut harder, let alone precision carve it. It's impossible. Sound, sound frequency and ley lines and uh, supersonic energies may be able to. Right. So yep. to me, to me, that was mind blowing because it was this, it, it was such a clear difference between dynastic construction on this side the earlier megalithic builders on this side one is far superior and yet the dynastics get the credit for all of it simply because yeah. <laughs> ramsey's name was found there and uh, i theorize that ramsey's um actually named himself that because the original statue has the word ramsey's in it at the bottom so I think we're actually looking at a statue that was depicting the megalithic rulers. Oh, and that they and were bigger, possibly. <laughs> they were massive and yeah. they had a language. They had a symbol. <laughs> These symbols, you would say, are hieroglyphs, but they're not. They predate the hieroglyphs. This was part of their original language that the dynastic Egyptians adopted and, and, and put into their language, if that makes sense, I think. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. So much there. So no, so much there. That's um, it's mind blowing. And when you think about, you look at these little, you think critically and you look at what's there and you're like, wait a second, like the Egyptians, when you think about that, they probably um just re I think of like rebranding, like someone buys a mall and then they turn it into something else and put their name on it. And now it's theirs, but somebody else built that. And so the Egyptians come in because they existed later in the chronologic, um, you know, line of time, put their name on it. And even putting their name on a statue of probably somebody else, uh, you know, who, who was physically bigger and all that. And then to try to claim it is the Ramses statue. And have you seen Death of the Nile on the Nile? The Agatha Christie. <laughs> um, it's Agatha you know, Christie. I, I guess I need to watch it because I've heard a ton about it. I think that they this all takes place in front of the Ramses statues and stuff. And they go to part of that and they see it. But um. I'm just, I love anything Egypt. I also like run on my treadmill and like go on tours in Egypt on my, you can like sync up my treadmill. Like I've <laughs> that toured a lot awesome. of the pyramids. You go in and the treadmill kind of moves with it and you go in and you're right. Like all you go, it's very small getting in, even though I'm, you know, not actually there. It feels like it, <laughs> but every, you can just tell that like things they've, it really, when you think about them repurposing and taking what somebody else made, taking credit for it is the, you know, it's just, they've taken advantage of where they fell in time, but um, yeah, I, I think that's fascinating when you talk about the sandstone being, you know, a softer, um, you know, material and that they only had copper and iron to cut these things. There's just no way that they created this was the rose granite. And I heard you talking, um, I think it was to Nate and, um, Luke on blurry creasers about the Aswan quarry, oh, which yeah. is and how that ties to the great pyramids. And that, that just makes me think, do you want to explain a little bit about yeah. that to the listeners? Totally. Yeah. To me, this again was one of the greatest smoking guns that proves lost ancient technology existed and was used by these megalithic builders. Because in Egypt, all of, you know, most of the megalithic 
pyramids or temples you see are made of um, what they call Aswan rose granite. It's this reddish rose colored granite. And it's the hardest kind of granite because it's got all this quartz in it. So it's super strong and that's why they wanted to use it. The crazy thing to note is it's only found one place in Egypt and that's Aswan, which is a plane ride from Giza where the Great Pyramids are. I think it's 11 hours by car away from the Great Pyramids. Okay, so stop and think about that for a moment. (laughs) If the dynastic Egyptians did build all this as the mainstream tells us, how did they transport it all 11 hours without cars and without the wheel? You know, 3000 BC from uh, Aswan. So you get to this quarry. And again, it's like a uh, megalithic playland. You see precision drill holes, stock cuts. Uh, most people go there to see what's called the unfinished obelisk. And it's this massive 1200 ton obelisk that weighs five, uh, it's five meters long laying in this quarry. And as you get up to this, you see these famous scoop marks. Okay. So again, if you're, if you're listening to the mainstream narrative, this thing should have chisel marks all over it. And, (laughs) but you don't see that you see smooth scoop marks. Again, that wouldn't be any big deal if this was like mud or clay right, right? <laughs> this is rose granite ranking eight to nine on the most scale hardness i mean we're getting up there to the strength of diamond wow the crazy thing is you get around the you get down inside this unfinished obelisk and then there's another one behind it a smaller unfinished obelisk and the crazy thing you see is scoop marks they're about one meter wide And they go all along the left and right sides of these obelisks and all around one meter scoop marks that, that that makes it look like it was literally scooped out like softened ice cream. And the crazy thing is when you look at the scoop marks that are one meter wide, if you follow those up on the wall uh, around the obelisk, you see these dark red uh, vertical lines that go right down into the scoop marks which is like a sign of excessive heat that could have, could have been used by some kind of ultrasonic type tool. Again, resonance, ancient technology. So that is the craziest thing. And, you know, so I I post a lot of videos and photos of this and it's always mind blowing. The answers that I get back, people are like, that's water erosion. Oh, right. (laughs) I'm thinking, do you have any brain cells left? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, they've been eroded away <laughs> they drank yeah, too much tap water <laughs> if that's water erosion how did it do it <laughs> right so anyway yeah. the uh the evidence to me is unmistakable on that this is clear evidence of advanced ancient technology that was used how what you know the ancients had appeared to have some kind of tool because what we see there again are these one meter scoops that go all the way down these red lines is going up the wall. How did they get that out and then move it 11 hours? Right. That's, that's the most mind blowing thing to me is how it traveled that 11 hours. And you say that's by car. So imagine walking. I don't even know how many days that would take, you know, they, they're tele maybe telekinesis. I don't know. Moving objects with, you know, frequencies in the mind. I don't know. They were definitely, we know they were practicing what we would think of as magic, you know, then, and, then the scoop marks and it's just, and so I, I'm thinking like, first of all, these technologies, they say we'd think they were lost, but do you, first question is, do you think that somebody still has this technology out there? Do you think there's people in this world that are using it and hiding it? And then two, I'm wondering why were those, um, those obelisks, why do you think they were incomplete? Great question. Yeah. Um, I guess to answer your first question, and you kind of hit on it earlier when you talked about UFOs or UAPs and basically this um, anti-gravity technology they seem to have. I guess if the technology still exists today, I would say it's it's there in this kind of craft that's reported being seen. Um, and some say that the military is reverse engineering. Um, I haven't researched that a ton, but um, that's the one area I think that this is used is in that kind of sense, in a military sense. 
Um, but even in Egypt, um, our guide Muhammad Ibrahim was showing us how even in the dynastic age of 3000 BC, when they came along, they were um, they were protecting, you know, the the energy that was still left, basically leaking out of these structures that they were harnessing. They were, it wasn't like anybody could just come receive it. It was just the elite of the day because the dynastics had built these massive mud bricks, basically as insulators of the energy and also to keep, you know, the public out. So even in the dynastic Egyptian age, we see evidence that this wasn't just free for, yeah, it was censorship. (laughs) It was, it was controlled, right? Yeah. And, um, and then your question about the, why it was unfinished. You know, that's a great question. A lot of people say, well, it's because, you know, on the big unfinished obelisk, there is a crack. And that's why, you know, it just broke and, um, and they just didn't want to waste it or they didn't want to. Maybe it wouldn't work. Maybe because these obelisks are like PowerPoints, right? You think? Yeah. 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 And so maybe if it had that crack, it would, it took away the purposes of what they were making it for. Yes, possibly. But also if you get up close to it, there's still, uh, I would say three fourths of it that's uncracked. And again, these Egyptians had, or the megalithic builders had an easy way to just cut this stuff up. And so to me, they still could have cut that off and used it because it's this viable piece of material. Another thing I'll point out is kind of close to that, um, the thought of technology in the, um, the Egyptian museum, we visited this place on our last day in our tour. And you see all these crazy artifacts and a lot of it's dynastic. Um, but the craziest thing we saw was uh, Muhammad took us over to see this granite box. And at first glance, there's nothing big to see here until you look around the left side of this. And I can send you uh, a photo of this if you want to post it or something for perspective. But you clearly see the ancient architect literally had some kind of, it looks like laser or some precision saw that was literally shearing off one side of this block. We're talking probably a 50 ton granite block. Wow. And then they stopped halfway through uh, for some reason. Um, but again, if you look close, you can see ultrasonic lines in this one big cut. And then if you go to the right side of this box, it's perfectly hollowed out. Again, we're talking a 50-ton a granite block hollowed out inside like it was cut out like Play-Doh. On the wow. left side, though, you see this massive cut that goes thick to thin like it was a laser going from the top down, like it was just going to saw it off and it stopped. So you see stuff like that. And again, dynastics had copper and iron tools, three to four in the most scale hardness. How is this happening? Wow. I want to see it. I want to see them do this, you know, just like have a dream and like get a, get a viewpoint of them cutting (laughs) this and see how that, you know, I mean, I'm sure you do too. That's just crazy. Um, that re- have you heard of the black boxes? The is it the seraphium black boxes that were discovered? Do you yeah. know about that? Do you, what do you think that? What do you think? Does that kind of tie to what you saw in the museum? This big box there, or how do? You, what do you know about these black boxes that were discovered? Great question. Yeah, actually, the box I just described that was in the Cairo Museum, um, was like a small version of one of these boxes. But yes, we visited the seraphium. Oh, you okay and, cool yeah yeah this was one of the again coolest things to see on our tour and we're going to see it again this may but let me give listeners a little uh history about the serapiums so this is located in in an area called saqqara and i would say it's one of the most enigmatic sites in all of egypt it's basically an underground subterranean labyrinth wow and it was i think it was first discovered in 1850 but basically inside under the ground in this, I would say dynastic Egyptian structure, there's, there's hidden like 25 granite black boxes. And again, they're crafted with laser like precision. Each box, get this, weighs approximately a hundred tons. It's got a 
body of 70 tons and a lid of 30 tons cut from the what? same piece of stone. Yeah. How would anybody ever uncover that? Gosh. Right. And in 1850, when they were found, um, according to records, they were found empty. So their purpose remains a mystery. And it's estimated that these 100 ton boxes, if you just think about the weight, 100 tons, they would need at least 2,000, an army of 2,000 men to transport them. Okay. However, when you're down inside this labyrinth, there's just like two feet that surrounds the box. My gosh. Right? So, how would there have been enough space for such a vast army to lower and transport these boxes? And uh, again, <laughs> mind blowing. Thousands, thousands of years ago, it's there's no flashlights, right? So it's going right. to be pitch black. There should be soot and smoke all over the the ceilings, but there are none. Um, and again, the the stone was quarried in Aswan, over 500 miles away from this site. So the official statement from Egyptologists is that these boxes were made during the late dynastic period. I think we're talking like 2000 BC as burial places for sacred bulls. No, what? Um, no, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, no way. I don't, not, not at all. <laughs> they drink too much water too. <laughs> right. And again, that brings us to how, would, how would the dynastics precision craft these with copper tools? Um, and what's crazy is on the biggest, probably most fantastic of these boxes, you get up close to this, and I've got this video pinned on Megalithic Marvel. It's one of our three pins on the top, so you can go watch this and see a little quick virtual tour around this one I'm describing now. But I love it because I've got some group uh, video footage of our group standing under it to give you scale. I mean, it dwarfs a human. Again, 100 tons. But this thing is it's smooth like a mirror. And uh, it's just like, I don't want to say crystal clear because it's black, but you know what I mean? It's perfectly polished. But what you see is these crude hieroglyphic carvings all over this one massive black, shiny, polished one. But the hieroglyphs, again, totally looks like graffiti in a sense where it's it's like they took a a nail and we're trying to carve in these hieroglyphs that don't match the precision. <laughs> like somebody later. Trying to claim like the, it as their own, like a little, again, like a, yeah, like a graffiti artist now, like over a nice, like sculpture or something. Yeah. 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 So the dynastics basically took the hardest tool they could find and scratched in some of their symbols and their hieroglyphs, again, trying to tag it as their own. Gosh. But you can see that what they did doesn't match the superior precision that it was originally made in. Um, so Thus, I believe this was made again at least 12,000 years ago. Wow. And so the big question is, what were these made for? Were these made to, some say they were made to uh, bury giant entities. Yeah. Uh, again, talking giants, Nephilim, <laughs> or did these house some kind of energy devices? And these were the casings, similar to what we see in the Great Pyramid and in the Second Pyramid. You go to the king's chamber or i should say the so-called king's chamber yeah <laughs> uh, where we have no record that a king was found inside there but inside there is what the uh, mainstream will say is a sarcophagus but really what what's going on here is this is again it's another granite box and again if you look at the geology of what granite does this was likely a energy housing case for i don't want to use the word battery but i'm going to yeah. some kind of energy source that was inside that wow that's just it's fascinating um all of it especially the sizes and the weight of this and that it was underground in this small space and the lids and then you look at the you know the a dynastic period where they probably just like you know carved their graffiti into it trying to claim it as theirs and just these being black boxes like takes me into my mind like the black box and cabal that they, they walk around in mecca and just um, you know, the ties to Saturn and Saturn worship and the black cube and, and magic, even like our TVs, our black boxes, our cell phones, our black boxes, like there's something about the black box. And when you say, and you say like housing energy, 
Um, I think like in magic and they, you know, the thought is like that you put, you do, you contain something in that box. That's like the fourth dimensional kind of thinking. That's like the tesseract where you contain something. And so I would really, I see how that these boxes very likely were something that they were containing an energy of some sort. And then I think now for the people that discovered them in 1850 that opened them up and I'm thinking like Indiana Jones and the tombs where they, <laughs> they do something they're not supposed to, or even in, in Goonies where they, they do something they're not supposed to and they let something out. Like what did they let out when they opened them? It wasn't the, it wasn't the souls of a couple of Buffalo. That's for sure. <laughs> a couple of buffalo yeah or bulls bulls right? yeah bulls oh, of course a bull bull saturn satan bull oh gosh <laughs> there you go yeah there's so many mysteries in egypt and we can't uh end without talking about the sphinx yeah um, we can't you've you've <laughs> probably heard i mean some of the research by uh, dr robert shock that's come out about the sphinx i was recently studying some of this and it's just so mind-blowing so um, you know, according to standard Egyptological thinking, the Great Sphinx was carved from the limestone bedrock on the orders of the old kingdom pharaoh Khafre around 2500 BC. Um, but on the body of the Sphinx and on the walls of its enclosure, and again, I got to see this up close this last February, um, you see heavy erosional features uh, that uh, Dr. Robert Schrock back in the 90s he shocked the world with this news when he concluded it could only have been caused by rainfall or water runoff. Uh, so the thing is obviously the Sphinx sits on the edge of the Sahara, right? And it's right. It's arid and, and it's been arid for 5,000 years. Right. Um, also though, various structures that are securely dated to the old kingdom, the dynastic show, erosion that was caused by wind and sand which is very distinct from water erosion so you can see it so dr Schott came to the conclusion that the oldest portions of the uh, sphinx which he refers to as the core body date back to a way earlier period and his research points to what he would say the end of the last ice age 10,000 bc wow a time when the climate was way different included much more rain Mm -hmm. and uh you know the skeptics they're always going to be there and they say well the great sphinx can't be that old because um the head is clearly that of a dynastic egyptian pharaoh right again that 3000 bc look of these dynastics and um we know that that didn't start till 3000 bc but if you look at the head closely and this is so clear when you're standing at the sphinx or if you see an aerial uh drone shot of the sphinx you see how the head is way smaller than the body yeah and it it's clear that the current head's not the original head it was recarved yeah. again repurposed by the dynastics and uh, the original head probably became severely weathered eroded and so they they recarved it and made it you know it just naturally became smaller well no that makes sense if it was you know it was how it was originally designed it was what it was supposed to be and then the the same old people that come to try to look like, at dynastic Egyptians once again doing their graffiti, trying to claim something that wasn't theirs is theirs, re-chisel down that head to be something that looks like theirs. Of course it's gonna be smaller if they're taking that same mass that was originally right. built, chisel it down. Wow. Yeah, and hieroglyphs that well, they found hieroglyphs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they found hieroglyphs dated at 3100 BC. That now talk about the Sphinx. Check this out. I didn't learn this just till recently. That talk about the Sphinx was originally a lioness called Mahed or Mahid, who guarded a royal archive. So this is the dynastic Egyptians writing about the Sphinx in 3100 BC. And they're referring to it then being very ancient already. Wow. So yeah. So this corroborates that the Sphinx goes back to a much earlier period. And then if that's not cool enough, uh, Dr. Shock, I believe it was the late 90s and or the early 2000s, he had made several trips to Egypt by then, found uh, what he calls a secret or the royal chamber underneath. I think it's the right front paw of the Sphinx. And um, but the the authorities um, wouldn't let him, you know, conduct further research or of course even they wouldn't. <laughs> it wouldn't even let him put a, you know, some kind of cam down there. So I think there's a there's lot of definitely evidence something to see down there. Yeah. <laughs> the Royal Archive. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. 
um i've always thought that, that the sphinx was really cool and i'm I was like why is this like a cat like what would you know everybody says the egyptians were obsessed with cats and um i love cats so <laughs> uh <laughs> why do you think that they use so much limestone in these was it just because it was in the area or do you think limestone is some kind of conductor in itself great question yeah again like i said so much of this goes back to geology so around egypt um you see a lot of limestone and like that's just the stone that's the most abundant right right there and so uh, like limestone is considered high conductive material it supposedly absorbs negative energy and pollution and it can play like an electrical current for granite oh, Key, oh right oh rose granite <laughs> right and um it makes up 70% of most of these structures is, is limestone. So if limestone does that, and then if we look at, you know, the rose granite from Aswan contains 20 to 60% quartz, it's radioactive. And because of the ingredients, it can send and receive waves like radio waves. Wow. So the ancients knew how to, they had a purpose for using every type of stone. And then when we look at, um, uh there's like i mentioned the mud bricks mm -hmm. that the dynastics came along and built around all these uh they use them to surround these megalithic temples because mud has like 62 minerals which makes it plays this insulator it keeps the energy in so that they can control it and harness it uh in a deeper way if that makes sense do you, I'm, I don't know why, but I just started thinking of CERN, um, you know, the halogen col particle collider, and they right. say they're, they're trying to create the God particle, even though they're also quoted as saying they don't believe in the Big Bang, which is funny. Um, but that, you know, they're, they're doing something with energy there. And then I'm like, oh, the pyramids, they were doing something with energy there too. So do you think there's any connection between the technologies used in the pyramids and what they were trying to do with gathering energy with what they're possibly doing over at CERN trying to gather energy? Oh man, great question. I have not looked into CERN a lot myself. Um, I know there's a lot of people that have done a lot of research into this, but what little I know, yeah, how they're trying to uh, collide these particles. Um, it sounds like they're definitely trying to tap into this some kind of energy. Yeah. Um, and, and there's so much you hear that relates to, you know, interdimensionally what they're trying to do there. I can't wrap my head around all of it, but it sounds like when you kind of start hearing about the statue they've got set up outside oh, of Shiva, that, the destroyer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you read some of the quotes from the scientists. It's like, what's really going on here? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a, a whole rabbit hole to fall into. And I actually think it kind of ties a lot to stranger things to the TV show. I feel like they're showing us a lot in movies and TV, kind of like some of the hidden stuff that's going on. And, and even, you know, in, like different movies there's lots of movies about egypt and and lots of movies about like um trying to discover things like the holy search for the holy grail and like ark of the covenant and all these different things and do you think that there are any treasures or anything like that hidden inside these pyramids you know inside the pyramids it's crazy because i was in the great pyramid that's how our tour ended we had a private two-hour visit inside this thing and Wow. We got to we got to go in almost every chamber. That's so cool. And you'll yeah. be doing that again with your tour in the spring, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We got a two hour after hours private visit where we literally get to climb through this thing. And once in a lifetime opportunity. It's, it's the most surreal experience because you enter this, and again, like I said earlier, man, you just get the sense that this thing is. And I hate to use the word, but again, it's almost, it's like some kind of ancient machine. It feels mechanical, these passageways. But when we went in there this last time, first we went down to, it's called the subterranean ch chamber. So we, we went into the descending passageway, which is like this 300 foot steep crawl. You have to bend, bend over. So you're, you're doubled over all the way down this chamber. When you get to the bottom, 
you literally have to get on your hands and knees and you're crawling because the the roof of this thing goes so far down. So you have to literally get on your belly to climb inside what's called the basement of the pyramid or this uh, subterranean chamber. And it's crazy because in this chamber, there's no um, megalithic finishing. It's just like you're literally seeing the limestone earth. Wow. Um, but it's kind of creepy because inside there is this giant machine that's humming. yeah i think there was a japanese uh scientific expedition that put this thing in there and it's basically guess guess what it's using radio waves to map this thing for hidden chambers whoa so they're they're using sound and frequencies and vibrations to to find out what's inside of it wow yeah and so it's again it was creepy to see this thing in there vibrating and humming and yeah uh, you it's go alive. around the, you go around the corner inside the subterranean chamber and again just you i was so taken back by the prehistoric nature of all this like how many great explorers before me were in wow. here have seen this that's crazy enough you know going back to the 1800s but again if we're talking 12,000 plus years old like the age of this thing but you look over, there's a fenced off area in the middle of this. You look over it and there's this massive pit with like at the bottom, some kind of circle stone in the center. And um, again, wow. based off my research, this thing was filled with water and again, this all goes back to the energy and how it was being powered as like a generator but you go in there and then you go up to the so-called king's chamber the so-called queen's chamber um and to me the whole thing is a treasure i mean yeah yeah going inside the king's chamber before you get inside of it there's this area um what's the official word for it it's basically some kind of residence chamber and i'm about to post some videos on this because it's really rare but there's this resonance chamber you go through that looks like you're in a futuristic sci-fi machine and when you are in there and you you know you do the humming or the ohm you just feel it echoing and bouncing off you so i mean unequivocally it's like you're standing in a machine especially in this one small part um I've never seen anything like it. Mind blowing. So I don't know that there's like some Indiana Jones treasure that's left to be found <laughs> in the pyramid, but I, I definitely know there's discoveries to be made. Um, in fact, one is at Saqqara. I had referenced earlier. It's about an hour mm-hmm. south of the of Giza. Um, just a couple of months ago, they opened up this new shaft that they finally finished excavating. You go down this 100-foot shaft at the bottom of this pyramid, and there's a uh, – it's like one of the boxes in the, in the Serapium. It's a 100-plus-ton granite box that was, again, some kind of housing, I think, for an energy device. And mind-blowing to see. So, And then our guide, Muhammad, says that you know he talks with all these other tour guides and security guards, and they all talk about massive – megalithic tunnels that uh have been discovered all over that run all over under giza and they're all sealed off to the public but so the point is um there's so much more we're not able to access and then let me say this i just did a uh blog post at megalithic marvels on egypt's area 51 did you happen to see anything about that um i saw a little bit about that yeah but explain a little bit for the listeners yeah, to me, this is one of the coolest things is um, back in, I think it was literally 1900, there was a French archaeologist who discovered this site uh, about 30 miles southeast of Giza, I believe, the Great Pyramids. And um, he began to excavate it in 1904. Well, since in the 1960s, the Egyptian government came into this site and I'll have to pull up the official name of it. And they basically took control over it and um, made it 
uh, off limits to the public, even archaeological. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. scientific study like the Sphinx's paw, just like you know, Area 51. Actually, all the stuff we want to see. Yeah, and so the only photos we have of this are are you know basically pre 1960s from this uh, this uh, archaeologist in the early 1900s. But you look at the pictures; it's basically like an inverted pyramid. You're not seeing any you know point going up, but you're seeing it go down. This massive cutout into the earth with this descending corridor and inside is again, these strange megalithic boxes, but this one's special because it has these, it has like, there's this, these massive megalithic boxes, but then there's this orb shaped, almost like a lid or tub. The archeologist called it. That's got knobs coming off of it. And um, again, all this is off limits to us today, but uh in reading the article from the original translated archaeologist, he found, get this, he found the word, I think it's Saba, um, inside this pyramid, which translates to Stargate. <gasps> oh, wow. We're getting more information about all these pyramids from these megalithic marvels from that. So, yeah, so Muhammad theorizes this is why he calls it Egypt's Area 51 is because this isn't, you know, fanciful made up stuff. This is, you know, this is run by the government now. It's off limits yep. to the public. We've got these crazy vintage photos of these strange orb shaped granite pieces with knobs coming off them. And we've got hieroglyphs that read Saba or translated Stargate. So pretty crazy and again, this goes back to kind of answer your question. What's what's left to be still discovered? Right. Wow. That's so cool about that, the Egyptian Area 51 and that's the Stargate. Because I do think, I absolutely, I mean, they worship the stars and w there's just so many questions about the stars, even like the Freemasons today and they're worshiping Sirius and their stairway to Sirius. And just the one I learned about the Orion lines and how the pyramids lined up to that and they're these ancient technologies and how did they get this? And then you think about Enoch and like how the fallen angels taught us so much stuff and ancient technologies. And then you'd have to think that maybe there's some kind of like alignment of these megalithic marvels of, and the positioning and the, the materials that it's made out of and the sonic frequencies and the vibrations that's allowing them to communicate with the fallen ones who don't have these physical vessels like we do. And so to get that information here that hidden knowledge here i i just i can't not think that that these different um landmarks are doing that and even like i think of like it i went to visited to call i've actually i've been there i've been to egypt but oh, i went wow. to yeah i went to to call um about 15 years ago and you could actually climb the pyramids then they, they let you climb up and it was yeah, amazing wow. and yeah it was super cool um and i've you know i've been to tulum as well um, and I, I look at those pyramids and I'm like, these kind of remind me of the Egyptian pyramids too. Like they're just, they're in a different place. Like they look a little bit different, you know, mm. they all, I think they all are, are energy generators or some kind of stargate openers or some way to connect with the ancients. Yeah, no, I've been to uh, Chichen Itza as well a couple of years ago and uh, saw the main pyramid there. And it's so interesting because when you're walking up to it, you you hear everybody clapping and it's so loud and you actually oh. start getting annoyed until you realize <laughs> what they're doing. You know, you got all these tour groups there and their tour guides are showing them the magnetic anomalies, again, sound resonance that this pyramid, El, El Castillo, uh, produces. When you stand at a certain spot right in the center of it and clap, uh, you can hear it, you know, echo off that thing back at you like a hundred times louder, but it's almost like the sound of this bird that's native to the area. Oh. And so really strange and bizarre, but yeah, stuff like that. It's, there was definitely something the ancients were tapping into. And I think it, like you said, it has to do with uh, energy and, and again, in Egypt, You've got the pyramids, but you also have megalithic temples. 
One of them, if people want to search this and look it up, it's called the Valley Temple. It's right next to the, the Sphinx and the Great Pyramids there. Again, this is made from the same megalithic stone, but it's got a totally different purpose. Where the pyramid feels like a machine and mechanical inside, the Valley Temple feels like it was actually created for uh, maybe a human or something larger to walk through. Mm. And uh, when you talk to, you know, Egypt, an Egyptologist like Muhammad Ibrahim or um, other megalithic researchers, even read the dynastic Egyptian hieroglyphs that talk about this, this was a, a place of healing and fertility for the ancients. Mm. Where again, because of the different stone used, they would walk through one entrance and pass through another and literally regenerate their bodies. And, you know, again, fertility for bearing children and stuff. So, so much of it in Egypt, we didn't really even talk about is all these uh, temples that the dynastics repurposed were known in the ancient days as places of healing. That's really interesting um, because, you know, we are, we're made up of water, you know, and, and we are, our bodies move energy through. And even just, you think of like the different frequencies that we're exposed to today. I live in the city in Austin. I'm shoot. There's a thousand 5g towers around me and just sitting in front of my computer and lights and all that. And this has an effect on our body. It has an effect on our minds and how clear we think and our health. And to think that the, you know, the Egyptians were even, using these like frequencies and stuff to balance people out and i i I just you'd have to think that there's definitely like lost technologies for healing the body and and with that said too i do think that today some of these frequencies and stuff are whether or not it's purposeful or not which i do think some of it is um you know with the technological advancements we are being affected by it um in our health and so some of these things that were once to help people maybe now can also be used against us as well. But um, Derek, it's been so much fun talking to you and I would love to have you back on the show another time. We could even dive in. There's so much we could dive into. We didn't talk about Stonehenge. We didn't talk. I wanted to talk, you know, more about the Mayans and, and, and even the mounds here in North America and the giants and the golden age and the connection to the Nephilim. So we, we really have so much to talk about. So I'd love to have you back. Um, but this was a fascinating conversation and I'm sold on wanting to come on your Egypt tour. It sounds amazing. And I, I just hope that my listeners, um, connect with you and they can find you at your website, megalithicmarvels.com. That's M-E-G-A-L-I-T-H-I-C-M-A-R-V-E-L-S. And you're also on Instagram, megalithic marvels. And yeah, it just has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, let me know. I can come back anytime. Yeah, so much to talk about when it comes to ancient history, technology, and um, the ancients, the hybrids, the giants. So yeah, let me know and um, look forward to connecting with listeners. And oh, let me mention that if anybody is interested in that tour, there is a 300 off um, thing going on right now. If they use I think it's called Egypt 2023, all caps, Egypt 2023. Nice. Nice. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and check out my last episode where I break down the exciting info about a grave in Iran where several ancient strange elongated skulls were recently unearthed Uh, you can click the link below in the show notes and i'll see you over there until next time keep exploring megalithic marvel